Hi, and welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God and His goodness. This is your host, Robin, and I am here with Katie, Dawn, and Lindy. And our prayer at Storytellers is that you would meet God in a new way, that as you listen, you would know that you're not alone, and that you can sit and discuss these stories with friends over coffee or when you're out and about or even at a girls' night, just like we sit and discuss these stories here on the podcast, and that in your community, walls are broken down and community is built. And so today, we have Samantha's story from Auburn. And so Katie, tell us about it. Well, all I know is that you are going to have so much fun listening to Samantha's story. She speaks about raising a child with Down syndrome with very few resources, but she does it with such humor. She's transparent, and she's very straightforward in her struggles. And in the end, it's beautiful because you're going to see it's those exact struggles that she credits for the beauty of her tapestry, as she calls it. So get ready to laugh and have some fun and enjoy Samantha's story. We just wanted to take a minute and thank you for being a friend of Storytellers. We hear all the time how much you are enjoying our stories, you're sharing our podcasts, and you believe in what we're doing. And so we just want to invite you to partner with us in 2020. You can do that two ways. Go to storytellerslive.org and click on the homepage, uh, the word donate, and simply give to our ministry. Secondly, if you would like to sponsor an episode or advertise with Storytellers, then send me an email, lindy at storytellerslive.org. That's lindy, L-I-N-D-Y, at storytellerslive.org. Remember, by partnering with Storytellers Live, you help us grow our podcast, expand into new cities, and continue to tell stories of hope. Thanks for being a friend of Storytellers. And I, I made some notes, and I was like, why do I need notes about my own life? I mean, but I was afraid I'd forget something. So I do have my little, um, my little notes. So anyway, grew up in Lafayette. They, I graduated with 32 people in my class at Chambers Academy, and then I came to Auburn. And when I got to Auburn, I met my husband, like on the third night that I was um, at Auburn, and He and I are so opposite, but we work so well, and I don't know how. I'm the one who, you know, I will get a nail and hammer it in the wall and hang the picture, and it'll be, you know, three inches off, and then I'll just hammer another nail in. I mean, Hallman has the tape measure. I mean, we have to divide, and it's just, I don't know how we work, because he... He's very patient, man. I can't imagine living with me because I'm just all over the board all the time. So we got married and we moved to Roanoke. So anyway, we moved to Roanoke and we lived there for five years. And then I had my firstborn child, Wade, and he is now, he's about to turn 17. And then we moved to Auburn and I went to work for um, my dad's hardware store and Hallman went to work in construction and Everything was rocking along good. We had, we built a house. We, um, I was probably, you know, I grew up with both my grandparents in my, in the town. And um, I was the youngest grandchild on one side. And I was probably a little spoiled. I mean, maybe a little, but, um, but that's, that's okay. Um, I married Hallman and, you know, you have to, you know, when you get in a marriage, you're kind of like, Oh, this was the thing I wanted to say. See, this is, I'm going to be all over the board because this is how I am. I agreed to this tonight, really, because 
for the first time in almost 17 years, it is all about me again. Like, I love this. I love this all about me. And so I get to talk about me the whole time. But anyway, um, okay, I didn't really think that. So anyway, we got married, and we... We were good. I mean, we had, a, we had a baby. We moved to Auburn. Everything was good. We got pregnant with our second child. We were building another house. We were moving in. Uh, we did move in. And then Hal was born. And that is when all hell broke loose. <laughs> so um, it was bad. And I thought it was bad. Um, I did not know that he had Down syndrome. And I was 30 years old. And so I went to the hospital to have him. I did not have one labor pain. My water broke. They gave me epidural. I was like, wow, this is, I could have a few more. Um, he was born, and everything was good. And then that morning, everybody went away. They went home. He was born about 11 o'clock and so at night. And so I had to share a room with a lady because they didn't have any private rooms. So Hallman had to go home because you can't stay in a hospital room when you are sharing a room. So he went home, and Dr. Smalley came in early that morning, and, you know, I'm laughing and joking, and I could tell, like, he had a look that he was like, I hate to say this, but i got to say it. I knew that something was not quite right, and so he said, I do not like to do tests unless I'm transparent with the parent, and um, so I want to be very transparent with you about you know, we're, we're going to test him for trisomy 21. And I was like, wait a minute, what did you say? Because things like this do not happen to people like me. Like, this is not in my plan. Um, and that was a very hard pill for me to swallow. And it took a long time for me to swallow it. And nothing really ever... I, I talk to people a lot that have children that have just had babies with Down syndrome and you know, they'll think they're doing so bad. And I'm like, look, you're doing good. This is the shape I was in when I had Hal. I just, I mean, I could not get it together. It was just devastating. I was in the hospital, and it was time for me to go home. And Dr. Pittard was my doctor. And um, I'd been thinking, they, they kept us an extra day because Hal wasn't eating too good. And so I was thinking the whole time, okay, I'm going to ask Dr. Pittard for some medication. I'm going to get me. And I was just thinking about all the different medications that I could ask him for that was going to fix this issue. So he comes in, and I'm on my, I mean, I'm on my A game because I'm thinking, he's going to say, Samantha, you need to go out and get your fresh, fresh air. Just take you a walk around the block. You're going to be fine. So I start rattling off all these drugs. I need some Prozac, Wellbutrin, and I'm just naming them off. And he looks at me, and, you know, Dr. Pittard is very old school. And so he looks at me and he says, well, all those drugs you mentioned are in the depressant category. And I was thinking you needed more of something in the sedative category. And I was like, oh my God, Dr. Pittard has prescribed me a sedative. Like, that's how bad it was. It was bad. So this was back when they gave you the prescriptions, um, you know, and so I put the prescription in the car and... We'd been home a day or so, and I thought, well, I'm going to go out and get my prescription filled. It was, you know, for like, it wasn't Valium, but it was something close to, you know, just kind of <laughs> level me out. And so um, I go to CVS. I thought, okay, I'm going to go to CVS, and it was on Glendine, and I had the prescription. I'd put it in the little compartment beside me, and I get up to the, I'm almost to the window, 
And I stopped short because I got to find a prescription. So I'm looking for the prescription and I hear this honk and I'm like, somebody honking at me. So I kind of look in my rearview mirror and I see him and I'm like, just a minute, you know. So I'm I'm digging some more and um, I cannot find the prescription. And so then he's like, honk, honk. And I'm like, did you just honk that horn again? (laughs) And so by the third time, I had some kind of -of out-of-body experience. Like, I jumped out of the car, I went to his window, and I was like, if you blow that horn one more time, I am going to kill you. And he looked at me, and he saw the crazy in my eyes. I mean, he saw it. He was like, not going to blow that horn again. (laughs) So he didn't blow the horn again, and um, I was very, very, I mean, that's not really out of characteristic for me. I mean, that was really out of characteristic for me. I I don't normally, like, cuss people out in the CBS line, but it was, I I was in a bad spot. People have said, well, how do you, you know, how do you explain that? And I'm like, well, it's kind of like being in a pitch black dark room. And Hal was a little light. He was he was the sweetest baby. He was great and um it was but it was dark in there and people would you know they would try to help and you know this is the first person who came to see me that had a child with Down syndrome, they said, Well, I've been praying about what I'm gonna say to you all morning. And then she says, You have just entered a world that you never wanted to enter. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she just said that to me. I mean, that's horrible. And so um, it was not encouraging. And um, I didn't find it. I didn't know anybody with a, chi- with a child with Down syndrome. I just, I didn't, I went to a private school. There was no special ed. I just, I didn't know anybody. And so, um, of course, I had all the horror stories in my mind. And um, it, I needed to hear that, you know, it, it's going to be all right. Um, and if somebody tells you it's going to be all right that is not in your shoes, it doesn't help a whole lot. I, I remember my dad said all these people would, you know, they'd be coming in and they'd say, oh, what a blessing. Oh, And, you know, at the time I'm thinking, this is not a blessing. And he said, you know, all these people who say or they're telling you this, note that they don't have a child with special needs. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you are right. So, um it was hard to take that positiveness from people who really I didn't think knew. But then along came Penny, um, Penny from Selma. And um, I was so happy that it, I heard that Penny had moved here. And I was like, oh, Penny. So I, I met Penny. And the first time I met her, I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not going to like her. Um, she's just kind of boring. And so I. It was at, she was big pregnant, and, and she, she, you were at a board meeting at Panera, and, um, and it's funny the things I remember. I remember everything. Like, I can remember what I ate yesterday, but I can remember everything that people told me or said to me during that window, and I was so glad she was here, and then I hear about Weta, and I'm like, oh, misery loves company. Thank goodness. I know Weta. Yes. And so... Um, I heard about Weta and Ava, and then there was Ashley and William, and then the list just kept going on and on, and so when you're in that dark room, it was kind of like Penny came in and brought her little light, and so it got a little bit brighter, 
and then here comes Weta with her light, and then here comes Ashley and Jennifer and Linda, and now we've gotten so many, you're like, the room is so bright now that I can't imagine being, you know, it being dark, but, you know, it, it was a dark, it was a dark room for, I don't want to mislead you on how dark it was dark, but, um, and it took me a long time, it didn't happen overnight, and it didn't, um, you know, it, things just had to chip away, and I had, we, we had always had this, we had had this coffee talk, Penny and Weta and Ashley and I would have this coffee talk, and at the, you know, we'd all be like, oh, God, what are we going to do with our kids when they grow up, and I hadn't really thought about that. Like, I thought about, you know, while they were little, and then I thought about when I die, but I hadn't really thought about the in-between. And so I was like, what are they? I mean, Cal and I can only go to Target in Publix so many times a day. I'm like, what is he going to do? And so we started, like, looking at places, and a lot of the places we visited were depressing. They were very... Um, it was just sad. It was very sad to go, and I'd come home, and I'd be all in this a funk, and um, we, went to, we went to several, and then Penny one day, and I was about done, and when I'm done, it's over. Like, you're not going to talk me into something that I'm over, and so Penny said, come on, we're going to go to Birmingham and visit this place, and I had a sore throat, and there really was no reason, like, we had to go to CVS in Birmingham to get me an antibiotic, and I was like, there's really no, why did I come here? I mean, I was thinking, why, why is this? And so um, we go visit the Exceptional Foundation, and I kept saying on the way there, I was like, now, Penny, where, where are we going? What, what is this? And um, she said, it's the Exceptional Foundation. And I was like, oh, okay, well. So we get there, and I'm like, this place is great. I mean, everybody's happy. The director is just, she's with it and on top of things. And I'm like, this is what we need in Auburn. All right, this is it. So um, we come home and we get, let me, I got ahead of myself. So back up to, um, we, after our coffee talks, we formed a 501c3 called Blessings on the Plains. And we said, we're going to make a residential facility so that we know our children have somewhere to go. And so... We were all like, great, let's, you know, that, that was long about 2012. And so um, then all of a sudden I get, I get into the Ida Claire world. And Ida Claire was this um, business that my neighbor and I, Karen and I, we just kind of stumbled upon it. And we didn't really mean for it to take off. We wanted it to take off, but not quite like it did. And so um, it we, we were in 41 states, and, I mean, we, would, we did a good job of acting. Somebody'd call, and they'd say, what's my balance? And I'd say, hold, please, let me get the accountant department for you. And I'd be like, Karen, get the phone! <laughs> and so we had, we, had a, we, we had an illusion going on <laughs> that we were much more corporate than the, just the two of us and our one little helper. But that was a whirlwind of a time, and so it kind of got stuck on the back burner for me because I was busy making socks and, you know, traveling all around doing shows, and it was a it was a fun time, um, and it was kind of a time I, I think that that little adventure gave me the courage that I needed for the next step because um, Karen and I we got to Atlanta for the first time, and the woman beside us said, "Now you know the last person that was here." They didn't write one order. And I'm thinking, 
we have 30,000 yards of trim. And, you know, we we really didn't know what we were doing. I'm, I love to get myself into situations where I don't know what I'm doing. And we really didn't. And um, we had ordered this trim from India. We had sent them thousands of dollars through a, you know, a wire. And um, I'm like, Karen, we can't go to the Auburn Police Department if they don't send this trim. Like, we're just going to be out. And so... We finally got the call that it was here. And so Karen and I, here we go. We had to go to Atlanta and they said, what's your tariff code? And I'm like, and so we, you know, it took about a week to figure out all the logistics of that. So we finally get it all figured out and we go and we pulled up to this, it's basically where all these international packages come. And it's a transfer truck, transfer truck, transfer truck, transfer truck, Karen's minivan. Transfer truck, transfer truck, transfer truck. And those workers were like, you're never going to get that in that van. And we were like, oh, yeah, it's going in. So we almost broke the axle on her car, but we, we got it back. And so anyway, we um, that was just a little adventure that, that I think provided me some courage because we were, um, we had fun, and people liked us, and People bought our product, and we were, um, and we knew it was a fad. We knew that it was going to be short-lived. So we just kind of rode the trend, and then, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, okay, blessings on the plains. We've got to do something. And so Penny said, you know what? We need to do a Bible study. And I was like, oh, God, we got to do a Bible study. So... Um, Penny leads us in a Bible study on the book of James. And so, you know, they had to pray for me a lot. You know, I, I, I kind of, when Hal was born, it took two weeks to get the diagnosis. And so during that two weeks, I was like, okay, God, if you will just let that diagnosis come back negative, I will never talk about anybody else again. And one of our friends was like, Samantha, he, God knows you can't do that. So I'm telling you, you just get ready for the diagnosis to come back. And so um, I kind of, I didn't lose complete faith in prayer, but I kind of did lose hope in prayer because I was like, why am I praying for this when I know what the outcome's going to be? I mean, it was very um, disheartening, I guess is the right word. And, but I, somehow I got myself surrounded with friends who were very, we had to do Bible study, we had to pray, and I'm like, okay, come on, let's just get to work, let's just get this foundation going. And um, it, I didn't feel like it was a waste of time, but my heart wasn't really, you know, into where it needed to be. And so looking back, I can see all the work um, that was going on to soften my heart as we went forward, and um, then, when the Exceptional Foundation, we, we started getting the ball rolling, and I was like, ooh, things are happening. Things are happening really fast. Things are just falling out of the sky. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe God's listening to these prayers that my friends are saying. And um, we just kept planning, and things, I mean, the hospital just said, okay, here's, here's our, the first floor of our, um, of, Health Plus. I mean, it's 7,000 square feet. They completely finished it out. Tom Hunt hands the check for $75,000 and said, here, if you need some printed material. And I was like, mm, we can do more than printed material with this. We just had lots of things just fall out of the sky and fall into place. And I was like, 
this was God's will. And if you're doing God's will, then think, and I think I'd been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it because this was not what I really wanted to do. It's not really where I, I wanted to be the person who was nice to the servicemen at a five-star resort. I mean, that's what I wanted my will to, I mean, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be that person. And I did not want to be the person to start, you know, to have to do this foundation. And I was kind of angry. I was like, why hasn't somebody done this before us? I mean, there are people here that have been sitting at home for 30 years who have been doing nothing. Where, where are the people before us? And then Ashley said something that really resonated. And I was like, you know what, you're right. And it, it didn't happen because it was always us that were supposed to do it. You know, it, and that is the way that God works. Is, I mean, he, nobody else did it before us because it was always us that was supposed to do it. And um, so that softened my heart, too, as to why it had not been done. Because I was kind of, you know, I was kind of angry. I was like, this is a lot of work. Why, you know, and I... I I don't want to be doing all this. Um, somebody else needs to have done this. And, you know, we'd go through all the names, and I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they hadn't done it. But then I got the answer that it was always us that were, you know, that was supposed to do it. And, I mean, I'm not the kind of person, like I said, we're, you know, we, we were not Baptists. We were Methodists. If, you know, if somebody, like, were to, like, raise their hand, if somebody came in from out of town and, like, raised their hand at church, I mean, Virginia Williams would be looking at Eloise McClendon like, hide the silver, because they are weird. And so, um, <laughs> I mean, Anne's back there laughing, because she knows I'm telling the truth. Like, it was, you just did not do, you just did not openly, you just didn't do that kind of thing. Um, and so, I started going to um, ACC, and they really... I mean, I was like, oh, God, this is a weird church. These are weird people. They're all going to steal the silver because they all got their hands in the air. And uh, Miles, the preacher, I mean, I told him, I was like, listen, I don't put my hands in the air. I was like, that's weird, and people are not supposed to do that. And, um, and so then, like, I felt like he was targeting me, and he would say, like, at the end of a service, he'd be like, well, if you want to... Live till tomorrow, I need you to raise your hand. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so, um, you know, I was, I just am not, that's just not my thing. And so I was there, I mean, I'd been going for a while, and I just, I thought he was a great speaker. I thought that he, um, he really made me look at things from a different perspective. And um, I am sitting in church. They're singing, you know, lights going, drums carrying on. And, um, you know, I'm just sitting there doing my little song, singing. And I can see over in the corner of my eye, I see Karen and Hal coming in on the other side. And so I'm kind of watching a little bit. And the next thing I know, Hal has got both of his hands in the air. Because Karen has both of her hands there. And I'm like... I'm like, I'm like, what is happening to my child over there? He's turned into a fundamentalist. And so, um, and then Karen would, you know, she would do this, and I would do this. And then, and I'm like, I mean, at this point, when he did the heart on the hand and one hand in the air, I was like, mm-mm. But then, all of a sudden, it hit me, and I was like, you know what? He's doing exactly what he sees. He's doing exactly what Karen's doing. And I was like, it's so, we've, I've made it so complicated. If I would just do 
what God is telling me to do without hesitation, without reservation, without shame, without any of that, it just makes it so simple. And I'm like, I have learned so much from this child who, I mean, the child is nonverbal. How did I have a child that is nonverbal? I don't know, but I did. And I'm like, how? I mean, he has taught me so much, and he can't even talk. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? He he gets it. I mean, he he knows to just follow what he has taught. And I was like, I need to take note on this. I just need to do what the will of God is without question. I need to do what Jesus wants me to do. And and then I thought, you know, I've never I, I never talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, occasionally, Karen, and I'll talk about it. Or, but I was like you know what, the, the beauty of this whole story is I have learned that Jesus loved me as much yesterday when I was like, I am fed up with this prayer life as he did today, and he will love me the same tomorrow. So it's, you know, I learned that it's okay, you know, it's okay to cuss, and it's okay to, you know, do, I mean, I do all those things, and um. Like people probably, like, like I said, people have to pray for me a lot because I get real wound up and I get real caught up into things. And um, I, I think that their prayers have worked because I, I do feel like that I have softened. I, I don't have the fear of missing out anymore. I don't, I mean, I sat at home in my pajamas yesterday while Auburn won and I was like, I am so happy I am at home in my pajamas right now. I'm so glad I'm not in that mess because it, it is hard to navigate sometimes when you have a child that doesn't that has sensory issues and you know I was I was kind of irritated in the beginning because I felt like I missed out on so many things and then I was like take the desire for me to have to miss out on those things away and he really has I mean he's I, I really don't fear of missing out on anything I, I'm I haven't always I mean this has been a journey like this did not happen in one day, or I didn't have a revelation one night and be like, oh, yeah. um, it, it, was a, it was a long journey, and I mean, Hal is about to turn 14, and I still have a long ways to go, but like I said, I needed to hear somebody like me that was going to say, you know what, it's okay, and you're going to live a normal life, and you know, it, the, the worst thing that has happened to you has turned your, you know, turned your life into something that that would have never been. I would never have had the courage to start the Exceptional Foundation. I would never had the courage to get up here and talk. And all the, you know, as I was doing the timeline, because they said do a timeline, so I was looking at my timeline, and I was like, you know what? I'm looking better and better every day. <laughs> I was like, I just got to keep on keeping on. I might, you know, I might turn out to be a good person if I just keep on keeping on. So, um... I was thinking about all the, you know, all the different, you know, the, I like to talk about this tapestry, and I, I'm going to read it because it, they say it better than, than I can say it. As it unfolds in real time, it's like viewing the backside of a tapestry. It appears to be nothing more than a jumble of thread, tangled, frayed, occasionally knotted, and seemingly random. Nothing really makes sense. It's no wonder people lose heart, give up, and abandon their commitments. But things are not always what they seem. It's only when you turn your tapestry over that you see the rich art, the rich colors, the texture, and the patterns that can make a tapestry a thing of astonishing beauty. Likewise, occasionally God gives us a glimpse at what he's weaving into the fabric of our lives. The peak at glory gives us the courage to soldier on, knowing that nothing happens by accident. 
No thread of experience, good or bad, is wasted. When it appears to be that way, we just have to remind ourselves that we are simply looking at the backside of a tapestry. And the one weaving it together knows precisely what he's doing. And I feel like all of the, I have a lot of ugly threads. And I feel like that at some point, God let me get a glimpse of the front side of the tapestry. And I was like, ooh, those ugly threads are what gives my tapestry some depth and some pattern and some texture. Um, and I'm like, I don't want it. I hope I get a few more ugly threads because I don't want my tapestry to look like everybody else's. I don't want it to be smooth and just plain old threads. And so, you know, I walked around scared for a long time because I prayed for patience for a long time before I was born. And then I had Hal, and I'm like, well, thanks a lot for that. I, I mean, I, I wanted patience. And, and um, so I thought, well, I, I'm for, I don't need to be praying for anything else because I might misword it. And get, you know, I misword my patience prayer, and here I am. Um, and so, I, I think that now I, that fear is gone. I'm like, give me another, give me another ugly thread. I'll weave it in. You know, I don't have that fear of what's going to happen, or it's bigger than me. I can't control all that, and um, I'm a control freak. And I've learned to just let the let the guard down. What's going to happen is what's going to happen. I don't have that much control over the situation. All those threads of experience have, you know, woven what my tapestry looks like and take an ugly thread and make it pretty. So that's it. That's all I got. You know, I love when God brings stories together and he continues a theme through several different stories. Like the tapestry, I don't know if y'all listened, um, but I would encourage you to go back and hear Lori's story a few weeks mm-hmm. ago because she talks about the same thing. Right. And so when when that's mentioned a couple of times, I feel like God's going, hey, He's hey, saying we something. We hear you, God. Right. And so. Oh, and I, I really loved how Samantha talked about those ugly threads mm-hmm. and how they give it depth and character. Right. Yes. I've never heard that. And I love that. Yeah, right. absolutely. Not only was she so funny, um, <laughs> she had some great one-liners, but, but her visual of being in that dark room mm-hmm. and because put yourself in her shoes. I mean, you know, just trying to work through thinking forward and how is this going to end, but being in that dark room and how that first friend Penny, she was the one that just brought a little bit of light. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just felt like that really set the stage. And I, and I appreciated her honesty about that because if, if you haven't been in a dark room yet in your life, I'm here to tell you it's right. probably going to happen. It is. One thing that really stood out with me was just the simplicity, the, the visual of her son dancing next to her mm. friend with his arms raised at church. I love that. And just how, that's isn't that what we're called to do? Mm-hmm. Just to imitate yeah. Jesus. Yes. And I feel like that was such a visual for me. I'm such a visual person, as you all know. But <laughs> just seeing how, just being able to follow Jesus. It's so simple, yet we make it so hard. Right. So, you know, that she, it, it's simply the act of surrendering for her. Right. You know, it was such a struggle of raising her hands right. in church, which I love. Yes, I, know. I know. That's yeah. so funny. I'm just, I did love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that can be hard yeah. for people. Uh-huh. But it's such a, a picture yeah. of so many things. That's that, right. Like, it's really so simple, and yet, yet we hold on so right. tightly That's right. to make it hard. There were um, two things that really stuck out to me. First of all, I loved how she said, you know what? Jesus loves me the same yesterday, today, yeah. and he's going to love me the same tomorrow. Yeah. But sometimes we tend to, to take 
we think Jesus loves us more when we're doing better in oh, our, yes. you know, eyes. What or, comfort to hear that. that. Yeah, to know that he loves us the same no matter what. I, I loved that. And then I also loved, you know, we always talk about it, storytellers, how important it is for you to create a timeline of your life and really see where mm-hmm. God has moved. And I loved how she said when she started her childhood timeline and she started going through it, she was like, I'm getting better every day. (laughs) And she goes, I just need to keep on keeping on. That was, that was one of the reasons why we named this one. um, Keep on keeping on. It reminded me, I I was talking about, there's a book by Eugene Peterson who wrote uh, long obedience in the same direction and about the Christian walk, that it really is just a long obedience in the same direction. That's all that God calls us to is to just take one step. Okay, Katie, take another step. And then he slowly starts revealing things to you that you want to change in your life. And it really is just this long walk. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint, as we're told um, in Scripture. And what we're told is to just keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Right. And it goes back to the tapestry of it literally is just that single thread. But at the end, you can see the beautiful picture he's made. That's right. We love the story. Yes. <laughs> and she said it's okay to cuss. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for listening today with us and laughing with us. And I love that God just brings humor and depth all around. Yes, that's right. So again, feel free to share this story with your friends. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Storytellers Live Podcast, on Facebook at Storytellers Live. You can jump over to our website, which is storytellerslive.org. And then it's always helpful for you to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next week.